Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And see, God knows our hearts because Israel. Uh, even today, they're very proud of their their intelligence. They're very proud of their technology, and and that's okay. You know, they 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 they, they have a lot going on, and and they have learned a great deal. But um, God doesn't need all of that, and He certainly didn't need thirty two thousand men to go against uh, even that many Amalekites. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. This explains why the army of 32,000 was too large. Israel could still take credit for a victory if they had 32,000 troops. They could believe they were underdogs who triumphed through their own great bravery or strategy. God wanted the odds so bad that the victory would clearly be his alone. God always receives the glory in all of our victories, whether they're big or they're small. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Tonight let's look at Judges chapter 7. You'd recall that uh, last week we looked at Judges chapter 6, and Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8 really comprise a, a period in the history of the judges, uh, these deliverers, these saviors, if you will, lowercase s, uh, that the children of Israel had. And you remember the cycle that the children of Israel got into. They, Because of their disobedience, they found themselves in a place of whenever they were disobedient, God would allow a neighboring uh, country or a neighboring army to come and uh, oppress them or to put them into some kind of bondage. And then the children of Israel would cry out and God would hear their prayers and God would raise up a deliverer. He would raise up somebody uh, to uh, to deliver them from those oppressors. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the, this fourth period. There's seven periods that have been really dissected uh, in, the, in, the, in the time of the judges. It's a time of about 400, 450 years roughly in that area, and it's really been divided up into seven periods. We're looking again at the fourth period. It's really the life of Gideon. And before we get into chapter 7, let's just look at uh, briefly just what happened in chapter 6. We know that the Midianites had been keeping the children of Israel And it says right there in the first verse of chapter 6, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And so here they were in this this place of of God chastening them, and uh, and the hand of Midian, it says, prevailed against Israel. 
And uh, we know that uh, they came up during the time of harvest, and they would steal all of their all of their food and destroy it. And 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 so the Israelites were impoverished; they were struggling against this huge invading army, the Amalekites, the Midianites, and those from the east. And we see that the Lord raised up a young man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon, it's interesting, his father was actually a, a an idol worshiper. And for whatever reason, in the town, it seems that this altar of Baal was something that uh, Joash, Gideon's father, had erected. And the whole town was there evidently to worship because it was a great altar. And... And it's interesting that as the Lord, uh, we know that Gideon was going to be this next deliverer. And, and I love how the Lord uses the most, um, the people that most people wouldn't think God could use. And, and Gideon was one of those people. And, and certainly, you know, he was, he was young. He, was, he belonged to a family that uh, was the center of idolatrous worship at that time there in their town. And before the Lord could use Gideon to go outside of his home and be a deliverer for the children of Israel from the Amalekites and the Midianites, God had first to work on his own heart at home. And so we see that God was using Gideon first to tear down his father's altar and to come clean with that and to renounce it and and to take all of the uh, repercussions of that. You remember the men of the city wanted to kill him and Joash, Gideon's father, rose up and says, who are you going to plead? Are you going to plead for Baal? Are you going to stick up for this God that we worship? And it's it's really interesting here that Joash wasn't going to allow his son to be killed, but rather he was uh, going to stick up for him. And as a result of his boldness, uh, his father, Joash, renamed his name and called him that day Jerubabel, which means let God, or let Baal plead for himself, or let Baal plead is the actual name. And so uh, Gideon uh, was known for this, and God was going to use him to throw off the yoke of the Midianites. And you remember that Gideon's faith and his theology really wasn't very mature. Gideon was still... Uh, and certainly because of the idolatry. How can you know uh, a loving God and to know who God is when you're serving a false God? And, and for how many years this was going on, we, you know, we don't know for sure, but it has an effect on a person. And when a person is involved in idolatry, they're, they're, the, the truth is, um, is being ignored. And, and that's really what his family did. But there came a point when you know God just was trying to encourage Gideon. And the thing I like about what we're going to read tonight, in fact, uh, Judges 6, 7, and 8, is we're going to see God just working with Gideon, this young man who was still very young and very um, unsure in his faith in God. He didn't know God really well, and he certainly didn't understand what was happening. He didn't understand that the reason that the Midianites and the Amalekites were coming against them was because of their sin. And you can see how God would first have to destroy this pagan altar that was at his father's house, because that is the very thing that was that, that caused the judgment to come upon them. And so God first had to deal with that, and then God could deal with the outside Amalekites. And he could use Gideon powerfully, but he first had to get things right at home. And, I, and there, there's a, a lesson in there for all of us, too. Before God can use us, 
You know, we can we can claim to be something for God or do something for God, but if our hearts aren't right and we're not doing those things at home, if we're if we're uh, doing evil things at home, how can God? How can we expect God to use us to do greater things? And so Gideon was learning this. He was learning that these little steps that he would make and all these little baby steps of faith that God was going to lead him through, and and you can see him growing in it because he keeps asking the Lord for. For, for understanding, and, and Lord, if this is really you, then would you please do this? And, you know, God knows the heart of every person, and some people need that urging. Some people need that nudge uh, in faith and to, and to encourage. And, and, and the thing I love about the Lord is that He knows. He knows what we need, and He knows whether we're playing games with Him or whether our questions that we're asking and the things that we're requiring of God, whether they're real genuine or not, or whether we're just wasting time. And I think you know what I mean by that. We can we can have excuses, but in our heart, there's really it's just cold and indifferent. But when we have an honest, sincere desire, God is more than able and more than willing to meet with us uh, to help us and, and further us along in our faith. He's, you know, uh, uh, he's not going to uh, break you down when you're at your lowest point. He, if he sees that little mustard seed of faith, he will, he will encourage it. He will encourage it to grow. You know, uh, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he won't quench. Isn't that what the prophets tell us? And so that's the way the Lord is with Gideon. That's the way he is with us too. And he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we all can attest to God's faithfulness in our own lives. And so let's look at chapter 7. So it says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and they encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And so this place, this well of Herod, is actually a place where God tested the men of Manasseh, the men of the Abiezrites. These are the people that belong to the tribe of Manasseh that Gideon was a part of. We're going to learn in just a few moments that this is the place where God tested them, and that's why they call it the well of Herod, because Herod has nothing to do with Herod, like you and I would think when we think when we say Herod or Herod, we think of King Herod in the time of Jesus. But this is hundreds of years, hundreds of years prior to any of that. And so the the, the word Herod in in Hebrew actually literally means trembling or astonishment or fear. And it was uh, perhaps named because of what we're about to read, because it was at this very place that God would test the army of Gideons and he would winnow, he would basically do a reduction in his army and God would accomplish a lot with just a very few men so that God could receive the glory for it. And so, and this spring, this uh, this well of Herod is actually there to this day. A few weeks ago, probably three weeks, uh, uh, almost a month ago, I guess now, over a month, uh, we were in Israel, and we visited this very spot. And they know that this is the spot. And you can see right there at the mount, at the very base of Mount Gilboa, there is a spring. There's a little in uh, a cave, kind of uh, inside the mountain. 
and it's not, it doesn't go in very far, but out of that is a spring. You can actually see it to this day, the water coming up from there. And it's been that way going all the way back over 3,000 years ago. And this stream, this is called the, the Well of Herod, and it, it goes uh, from the spring. It comes out of there, and it goes toward the east, going into the Jordan Valley, into the Jordan River. And that's where it flows out, certainly, uh, down into the Dead Sea. And so this is the place where we are at here in the story. And notice here that it says, The Lord said to Gideon, verse 2, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And there is something interesting about the human heart that when God um, says He's going to do something and He's going to do it through us, uh, he doesn't need all the fancy trimmings. He doesn't need somebody who is well-educated. He doesn't even need to see use somebody who's good-looking or talented or gifted or has a lot of money. In fact, some of those things are more of a liability to God than, uh, than not. And so God loves to choose the base things. He loves to choose the small things, the things that are insignificant to the world. He likes to use those things to confound the wise and to and to and to do wonderful things through something simple that nobody else wants and and that is a secret that we see throughout all the Bible. All the great things that God did, it wasn't because might makes right. It wasn't because of a big army. God did some of the most awesome things uh, by just a few. And, and most of them, most of these heroes of the Bible, they were just like us. They're no different. They, would, they, were, they were trembling inside when they were going through it. You know, it's easy to read these events in the Bible and to think, well, you know, I could do that or whatever. But we all know that there are certain things in, in life that happen. And when they do happen, they, they take us unawares. They, they take us off guard and we find ourselves in a real difficult situation. We discovered that a couple days ago, Pastor David and I were here at the church and um, uh, a company came in to do some work on some piping and something happened, something went horribly wrong and one of the sprinkler heads um, in one of our tenants' spaces, it it basically came off and uh, it's a long story, but the water was coming out of this, this uh, sprinkler head, and I'm looking above me, looking at one in my office, looking at a few of them actually, hoping they stay there. But the water was coming down at such a great rate, it, it was literally hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water that flooded uh, a part of our tenant's space. And this poor gentleman was was running around, and you could see the fear and the anxiety on his face. And Pastor David and I, we just had to stop and pray. And we did a couple times. And, 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 the, and he came back later, and he was very thankful for that. He knew that we were praying for him, and uh, we've all had days like that where you walk into work and things just, everything explodes and everything is on fire, and it's the worst day of your life. You're just like, you just want to quit. And and, and these are the kind of things that, that, that God loves to use small people, and he uses us all, and, and sometimes he allows these calamities to happen to us when it's just us by ourselves, and those are the most harrowing things in our life, things that we'll never forget. But the Lord is the Lord said to Gideon, and can you imagine what Gideon was thinking? He's got this thirty-two thousand man army, and God says, uh, let me see, how many are the Malachites? Are the Malachites the Midianites? One hundred and thirty-five thousand, uh, and you've got thirty-two thousand. I would say that's uh, still not a good 
thing for Israel, but God is looking at it and saying, I don't know that I can do it with that many. And see, God knows our hearts because Israel, uh, even today, they're very proud of their their intelligence. They're very proud of their technology, and, and that's okay. You know, they, 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 they have a lot going on, and, and they have learned a great deal. But um, God doesn't need all of that, and he certainly didn't need 32,000 men to go against uh, even that many Amalekites. But I want to show you something in, in Psalm 33, and let me just read it to you. There will be other passages that we're going to go to together, but let me just read to you Psalm 33, beginning in verse 12. It says this, and I love this, and this is applicable to us today as well. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In other words, blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. And, and, and blessed is the nation. Hopefully America is such a nation that uh, whose God is Jehovah, who, whose God is Jesus Christ. I pray that that's the thing, because if it isn't, we're in a lot of trouble. And so it goes on, it says, The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And the Lord looks down from heaven, verse 13, and he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts alike, or individually, and he considers all their works. Now here it is, verse 16. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, a mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Verse 17. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. But the the, the the, the real um, crux of the matter here in this verse is no king is saved by a multitude of an army, nor horses, nor chariots, no nuclear bombs, no fancy jets. Uh, all these things are fine and good, but no king is saved by the multitude of an army because God has a way of changing the tide and turning the tables on anyone at any given time, regardless of their preparation, regardless of how well prepared they are for battle. And so here we are with Gideon. You know, God tells him, the people who are with you are too many. And if I were Gideon, I'd be like, oh, oh Lord, we could probably spare 10. Is that what you want? Uh, 10, maybe 10 people? <laughs> Can we subtract it by 10? Uh, and the Lord goes, no, I got quite a bit more I want to take away, Gideon. But notice, uh, go with me to First Samuel chapter 14. We're going to look at just the first six verses of 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. And this is a time during the time of Saul's reign, the, the Israel's first king, as you recall. And Jonathan was his son. And the Philistines at the time were really creating a problem for Saul. And in fact, the Philistines were a thorn in the side of Israel uh, through David's reign, uh, uh, through most of it, and uh, we're going to see Jonathan, 
his son, who was really a great and wonderful man. The Bible says that he and David had such a friendship and their love for each other was so great because they had a real brotherly love. It was a really strong bond between these two guys. But notice in verse 1 what it says of Jonathan. It says, Now it happened on the day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So here Jonathan is doing this unbeknownst to his father, who is the king. And and the reason I'm bringing this passage up is I, I want you to see the faith of Jonathan, and we see that God can do a lot through someone very little in their own sight. And so, verse 2, it says, Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gabeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So he's kind of doing this with his armor bear, kind of on the down low, kind of stealth. And so between the passes, between these passes, these mountains, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sena. And the front of one faced northward, opposite Michmash, and the other southward, opposite Gabeah. But notice what it says in verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who is his armor-bearer, Come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And notice just the zeal and the faith of this young man. Would to God that Saul had that kind of faith. I sometimes wonder if Jonathan, his son, ought to have been the king instead of him. Uh, But Jonathan realized that he uh, and this armor bearer, they could they could take these guys on. And uh, it says in verse 14 of that same chapter, says, This first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half of an acre of a land. So if you picture a half of an acre of land and Jonathan and his armor bearer going against 20 men who are interspersed throughout that half of an acre of land, that's basically what it was. But it was two against 20. Or actually, yeah, and so... Uh, those odds aren't really good, but um, uh, Jonathan had this faith in God, and God answered him and gave him the strength and the wherewithal to overcome these Philistines. Turn with me just a few chapters uh, to your right and go to First Samuel chapter 17, and this is an event that we all know very well. It was the the fight between David and Goliath. So open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 41. And you recall that uh, the Philistine giant, Goliath, came out into the valley of Elah, and he's uh, disdaining David. He's looking. He's a giant man. He's probably over nine feet tall. This man is a seasoned war veteran, and out comes this good-looking he probably looks like John Bon Jovi, and he's coming out, and he's he's coming out with he's just this little guy, little teenager. He doesn't have any armor on. He's got nothing but a sling and some stones and his staff in his hand. And he comes out against Goliath. And so verse 41 we'll pick up right there. It says, So the Philistine came, and he began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the, sh- the Philistine look- looked about David and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. 
and looked like John Bon Jovi. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So he's not only cursing David, but he's also cursing the God of David, Jehovah. And that's not a really good thing to do. Um, you, you'll notice that it doesn't turn out very well for him. So uh, it says, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But guess what? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.